You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. So, way back in the 1990s, it's been a long time ago, um, there was this big movement that kind of popped up and actually was formed in 1990. It's called the Promise Keepers. And I mean, they were having these massive uh, events. They were filling stadiums. And the purpose of the Promise Keepers were to get men, Christian men, and bring them kind of off the sidelines to becoming more active, to practice integrity, justice, love, and mercy. And I remember as a kid, my dad took me to one of these at Neyland Stadium. And the stadium was packed out. The football field was covered in chairs. It was packed out. Probably some 100,000 men in this stadium. And while I remember some of the speakers, one of the most impactful moments was when this many men start singing a mighty fortress is our God. I mean, it just boomed. It, it just, you could feel it all the way down to your core. And I don't know how far out that could have been heard, but I would guess that anyone that was with an earshot probably stopped to listen to what that was. So this morning as part of, this is part three of our series. Um, I know all of us at some point or another, we've gone through periods of restlessness. Um, this particular event just reminds me of how worship can bring that peace and rest to our hearts. And even this many years later, it's something I remember so vividly. So our focus um, today is going to be on worship and how it brings rest to our hearts. So before we get ready to pray, or to read the verses, we'll go ahead and do an opening prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you this morning. We just pray that you will speak to our hearts. Lord, that your word will, will cut through us and show us what you would have us to do. And, and through our obedience that we will find rest and peace in our hearts. So God, just... Pray that you bless this time as we dig into your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So our focus on worship, we're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. If you have a digital Bible, we're in the ESV. If you have your bulletin, the passage is in your bulletin. So starting with verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. So the letter of Colossians was written by Paul. It was during his first imprisonment in Rome around A.D. 62. 
And what we encounter is a member from the Colossian church came to visit Paul. His name was Epaphras. And he was letting Paul know that there was a false religion that was working its way into the church. Now, there's a lot of contradictions and debate on what this false religion contained. But looking at what some of the things Paul was addressing in this letter, um, they, these false teachers were using legalistic works to promote a false humility. They were worshiping creation. They were worshiping angels. It talks about uh, elemental spirits. And they were claiming to gain special knowledge through visions. And the tie to this seems to be like it was some type of mysticism. But Paul, his big point for these guys was that he said that they had lost contact with the head of the body, being Jesus Christ. They were trying to find other ways to promote themselves and other ways, other things to worship. So Paul's primary message to the Colossians includes, number one, the most important, the absolute supremacy and sole sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And another part of that was give thanks or be thankful. He mentions that seven times in this book, and three of those times is in our passage today. So while we know false worship was being taking place in the Colossian church, Paul is going to instruct us on some ways that we can worship in spirit and truth today. So what is worship? The word that's most commonly used for worship in the New Testament means to kiss the hand towards one or to prostrate oneself before another in reverence. So worship in its truest sense, whatever we think that looks like on the outside, on the inside, it is submission out of reverence and adoration to our God. It is its own end. We don't worship God to gain something else. We worship God because he deserves it. It is the creation giving what is due to the creator. And it's a worship of the Holy Father through our one and only mediator, Jesus Christ. So our question for today is how does worship quiet the heart? If you're taking notes, uh, our point one is we worship as the body of Christ. We worship as the body of Christ. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Peace of Christ. Sometimes this verse is cited by people and they're talking about they've made a personal decision and God gave them a peace about it. While God may give us peace about decisions we make, the context of this verse is that we, as the body of Christ, is to seek peace. So he's, he's talking about us corporately here. When God, let's see, as the text says, we are called in one body. And it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is actually a connotation of like an umpire. An umpire is going to make a ruling. So as we make decisions as a body and individually, the word of Christ or the peace of Christ is supposed to be that umpire that rules in on what we're supposed to be doing. Think about decision making as the body of Christ for the body of Christ. When our elders or our committees in our church make decisions, they should seek what brings peace to the body without compromising the gospel. 
as individual members of East River Park and as the body of Christ, we should make choices about what we say or do, whether or not the actions or our words will bring peace or create unnecessary conflict. This can be tough because it requires humility, but it also requires us to be vigilant and diligent to be true to the gospel of Christ. It almost seems like an afterthought at the end of verse 15. It says, and be thankful. Another way of saying this is become thankful. As we seek to be, seek peace, the peace of Christ in the body, it's going to bring us gratitude. And the more we seek that, the more grateful we're going to be, the deeper our worship to God is going to be. Remember, worship is submission. In order to allow something or someone else to rule our hearts, we have to submit to that rule. Here we see a need to submit to Jesus to gain his peace. That's not a one-time deal. That's a daily and maybe even hourly thing for us. A constant submission to the rule of Jesus Christ. I know I'm one of the worst people as I'm going through my day. Things will come, troubles will come, and I just kind of take them and I tuck them away. And I just put my head down and I keep on going. And it just kind of builds up and builds up. I'm holding on to those burdens for myself. And as I took those away and put them inside, I'm actually exercising unbelief. See, some people see that as strength, as something that, you know, that person's strong. They just keep taking all this stuff and they keep going. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing as believers. I'm actually saying that I don't trust God to take care of these burdens for me because I'm not turning them over to him and I'm just hurting myself. Regardless of how I try to rationalize my actions, I'm not letting that peace of Christ rule in my life. And then this unbelief spills over when we come to church for corporate worship. I know I've done this and I would like for y'all to think about it as well. How many times do we come in here, we sing, we hear somebody share God's word. We might even give to the church. But we've never laid those burdens down. We walk right out the door, still burdened, still in despair, unchanged from what we have just done. We need to ask ourselves, when we come to worship, did we submit to God out of reverence and adoration did we lay our hearts down prostrate before our holy creator? Did we find ourselves repenting of our sin? Pride always wants us to try to stay on our feet and rely on our own strength when we need to be bowing down before our king, submitting and confessing. When we attempt to be self-sufficient, we're no good to ourselves, nor are we of benefit to our body here. It's in full submission that we are going to find our rest. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden to the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. We don't need to hang on to these burdens. It's not our job to do that. God has already said, I've done this work. Come to me, give them to me and submit to me. And we will always find our peace and rest when we are obedient in that.
One of the hardest things is to lay down the illusion of control. And it really is an illusion. You know, so often I think, well, I, I've got this. I don't have control over that. And so once again, in order to find the quiet and peace that we're meant to experience in our Lord and Savior, we have to lay down that we think we're in control of our lives. It is that full submission for us. But we can't do that without the indwelling of the word of Christ. And that leads us to our point two. A second way worship quiets the heart is we worship through the indwelling of the word of Christ. The first part of our 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As believers, we are to let the gospel be treasured in our heart. We should study and be so familiar with it that it drives our very thoughts and actions. It tells us who God is, and yet in the same instance, it tells us who we are in him. It reminds us we are part of his eternal family. And one of the most important parts about the word of Christ is we can depend on it. It is truth. As Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We can't trust our own hearts, but we can always trust the word of Christ when we use it and interpret it correctly. That is what should be guiding our lives. That is where we don't have to be in the driver's seat. We have that that we can submit to God. And one of the most important things here is the word should also guide us as we teach and admonish one another in the body. So we probably know what teaching means, but to admonish is to use the word of God in a loving, corrective way to bring someone back to where they need to be in the body. We often think of teaching and admonishing as being a duty of the elders in the church. But here we have the charge by Paul that every member in the body, we have that duty to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So one area I want us to look at today, the way that we teach and admonish another biblically, and I feel like this is something that in our society it's frowned upon and and probably just the way our society is set up, the way we think, we probably think, eh, this is probably something, this is old. This is something we don't need to do. But we do teach and admonish one another biblically when we see a fellow member of the body wandering from the truth. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. As the body of Christ, we're called to be active, and accountable, and available to each other. It's not just sitting in our services, shaking hands, waving at each other as you're getting a doctor enough out front. Um, there's more to that. It means that we have someone checking in with us on a regular basis. It means we're taking the initiative and checking in on each other. We have that accountability. We, it's not just accountability, but it's support for each other. 
If we love one another as the body of Christ, we'll seek to restore a member of the body that has fallen into transgressions. Think about how Jesus responded to sinners in the Bible as opposed to how the religious leaders responded to them. Jesus never sinned, but we always found him with sinners speaking truth into their lives. Being part of the body of Christ means when a brother or sister falls into transgression or temptation, we should know them well enough. Somebody in the body should know them well enough to know something has changed. And then take that initiative to step in and love and support that person through those times. It's not neat, it's not clean, it's not an easy process. It's hard work. And it means that we have to step in and be vulnerable as well. So I have a couple of questions I'd like for us to think about this morning. The first one, how many people at East River Park would you be able to say you would know if they fell into a temptation or habitual sin? How many people do you know well enough that you would see there would be some kind of change in them? A follow-up question to that would be how many of those people would you be willing to go and seek their restoration? At East River Park, we should be seeking to be this kind of friend to others. We shouldn't be sitting and waiting to see if somebody else will step in. We are the front line of defense for each other. So just thinking yesterday, I am not a grill master by any means. I actually burnt three of my fingers yesterday grilling. And just thinking about how when my hand got in very dire trouble very quickly, the rest of my body responded to bring those three fingers out of that danger to safety. That's how the body of Christ should work. We should be aware enough of each other that when we see part of our body in trouble, we're going to respond and we're going to bring that person to safety. We're going to bring that person and try to restore them out of love and gentleness. It may not always happen, but that's not, we're not called to do it if it's only going to happen. We're called to do it every time and to love and support one another because that brings glory to Christ. It also brings greater peace to the body of Christ when those people are, are restored to the body. When we seek to restore members from transgressions, we not only restore to bring peace to the individual members, but to the body. Because here's the thing, if a true believer is in sin, that person is going to be in deep inner turmoil over their sin. The Holy Spirit's not going to let us just sin all the time and go into habitual sin without drawing us back to God. That turmoil not only impacts that individual, it can impact the body of Christ. Another way we can biblically admonish or teach one another is when we bear one another's burdens. Moving on to Galatians 6.2, the next verse. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We don't just confront a person about their transgressions and say, okay, well, they came and repented, we're good. Or, well, they didn't want any help. All right, we're good, we're done. 
We're called to come alongside that person and help them carry that burden. And we share that burden by being there. When temptation to sin is oppressing them, or when life in general brings upon depression to them, we have a job to be encouragement, giving the word of Christ and sharing our peace with them. That's how we bring that rest and peace to each other. The more we study and grow in the word and teach one another, the more it's going to drive us to praise. Remember the being thankful. It's going to drive us to being more thankful and drive us to praise. So our third point today, a third way we worship quiets the heart is we worship in song. So now the second part of verse 16. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When I was reading this, I thought it was so interesting that the act of singing was in the same verse that Paul is telling us to teach and admonish one another. The songs that the early church would have sung, most of them probably would have been from Scripture. The most obvious would have been Psalms. And we just finished a sermon series on Psalms. And a couple of the ones that really stuck out to me is we learned about God's steadfast love in one of those Psalms. We also learned what it was like to truly repent. The book of Psalms and the songs that they were singing at that time they were taking the truths of God's word and the Psalms are God's word. And we were putting, they were putting them in the Psalm and singing that truth. We can actually learn theology and doctrine if we are singing songs that are true to God's word. When we sing songs founded in the truth of God's word, we're not only proclaiming that truth to our Lord in worship, and giving him his due worship that he needs. But we're, as a congregation, we get to proclaim that truth to one another. So it gives the congregation basically an opportunity to kind of preach to each other in a good way. Um, as opposed to just having someone up here, part of our worship service is us speaking God's truth to one another. But this is also where we need to be vigilant about what songs we sing. Not all Christian songs agree with God's word. And I am that guy that every time I hear a new song, I pick it apart. And I may have possibly ruined a couple of songs for my wife by doing that. Because there's a couple of songs when they come on the radio, she just changes it. She's like, I don't want to hear it. So, um, but we should be mindful about the worship songs we're singing. And that they do line up with the truth of God's word. When we sing together as a congregation, we join together in spirit and truth. Uh, it's interesting, physically when we sing, it actually re releases endorphins in our bodies that brings a calm and peace physically. But when we sing to God in our worship, the Holy Spirit that dwells in all of us joins us together in one spirit. The sharing of this can release our concerns and burdens as we take the time to find peace and majesty in God. Remember my experience at Promise Keepers. That was a big deal to me. But one of the most profound worship experiences that we have, and maybe something we didn't think about this morning, 
is that there's a 24-7 worship service going on around the throne of God. Revelation 5, 11 through 14 says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. When we were singing this morning, we may not have thought about this, but the time that we were singing, we were actually joining in with this innumerable choir that's around the throne of God. We got to join in with them. It was such a privilege that when we praise God that we are part of that. But something else for us to think about is if you get up at two o'clock in the morning, you're feeling burdened and you start praising God at that point, you may be sitting alone in the dark, but you're not praising God alone. You're simply joining in at that time with this immense heavenly choir praising and worshiping our Lord and Savior. So this fact to me is encouraging, but it should also tell us that worship can and should occur at all times. Our point four, we worship in every circumstance. We worship in every circumstance. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. In word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. So I got permission to share this. Um, for over 10 years now, my wife has suffered from chronic illness. Um, a few years into our marriage, because of this illness, she had to leave a job that she loved. And then shortly after that, she had to stop driving. I am not a huge fan of driving. Um, if, if, you, if I say, hey, I'm gonna go just hop in the car and just drive around for a while, you need to take me to the hospital because I'm clearly not well. Um, but at this point, when, when this happened, I ended up finding a new perspective that driving was not just driving anymore. You know, it seems so mundane. We do it every single day. But the purpose behind it, I was taking her to doctor's appointments. We were getting medication. All of the errands for our house fell on me at that point. But at that point, driving was deeper because I was doing something for someone that I loved and someone that loved me. I was acting as an extension or a representative for her. So something as mundane as going and getting groceries had a different purpose at this point. And this is what I believe this verse 17 is talking about. Even in the most mundane things that we do every single day, we need to work on our mindset that what we're doing is as the body of Christ. We are operating. We are his hands and feet here. So 
when we change our mindset, everything we do turns into worship. And it's the attitude that we must take within our hearts. That we do these things and say what we say as a representative of God. And once again, for the third time in this passage, he says, and give thanks. In the context of my change of attitude towards driving, uh, giving thanks isn't saying that everything that happens to us is inherently good, but that we do know and we recognize that God is working through all these circumstances to sanctify us. I'm not thankful for the years of pain and loss that my wife has had to endure. But our marriage, God has used that to bring our marriage, to bring us to a relationship we probably wouldn't have had if it wasn't for the illness. And through this, one of the hardest parts is that I think I can speak for myself and probably for both of us. God has used her illness to refine what we believe about God because I know I had some misconceptions about things like suffering and things like that. So when trials and challenges come, God may very well use those to refine us as believers and what we believe and, and grow us through those. When hardship comes, that's why it's so important to dig into God's word because that's where we're gonna find our footing. So yes, worship quiets our hearts by seeking peace as one body, taking God's words into our heart, teaching one another and singing songs. But it doesn't stop there. Worship goes with us everywhere and in all things. In good and bad circumstances, our Lord doesn't change. Nothing can overthrow him. When we stop to worship, even in our worst circumstances, we find ourselves in, we can find rest. When Jesus was on the boat, in the storm, the disciples found him sleeping through the storm. Why was Jesus sleeping at that time? Because he was the master of that storm. Worship is stopping in the middle of our storm and speaking to its master. And we have that access at any point, 24 seven. God is always there for us to come to him. That is something that's absolutely amazing. I want to close out with a quote from Paul David Tripp. He says, Peace in times of trouble is rooted in the worship of God. When his grandeur and glory loom larger than your troubles, peace comes. And when we find peace, we find rest. So finally, the big overarching main point, if you haven't figured it out yet, restless saints must quiet their heart in worship. So if you're here and would like to speak with someone about a decision or just talk, after the service, we'll be up front um, waiting to speak with you. Let's pray.